boils and ghouls. It's time to gather round us, horrifying hunter, petrified Preston, and devilish Dan. Crack open another cursed volume of tales from the crypt. This is Horrors from the Vault. <laughs> Welcome, kitties, to Horrors from the Vault. My name is Horrifying Hunter, and I'll be one of the three shadowy figures leading you into the dark and haunted corridors of this very vault. Tonight, we're cracking open our sixth tome of season two with The Thing from the Grave, an episode all about the dangers of being the nice guy. Hey, you know what? Green Day might have been onto something. But before we can venture fully into the vault, let me introduce you to my co-hosts. Of course, joining me like always... A man who is uh, not a thing, but possibly might be from the grave. I'm talking about Devilish Dan. <laughs> Rising from the grave. Hello. How's it going? I, I don't, I'm a little scared. I'm going to be honest. You got under <laughs> my skin there. <laughs> Sorry, man. Yeah. Yeah. We're ooh, a little, a little creepy, a little bit of a raw action. Uh, Dan, getting ready to uh, officially kick off the holiday season here and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, what what what's on your agenda as far as spooky Thanksgiving watches? <laughs> spooky Thanksgiving. Oh, uh, we are going to see uh, the new Eli Roth Thanksgiving uh, movie. We got passes to see a preview screening, so that's going to be fun. Hopefully, I'm looking forward to that. I really hope it's good. Actually, I, I, it's got a little bit of Scream vibes. It seems or uh, Scream slash uh, Valentine slash uh, My Bloody Valentine. Where I was going like to say that, Valentine. I can yeah. definitely. That yeah. mystery killer got a good looking mask. Um, yeah. So hopefully it's good. I, I wish it were a little more like the Thanksgiving trailer from Grindhouse, but hey, I get it. You, you get what you you can get funded. I, I understand. And we mentioned this last time, but somebody who is already headfirst into the holiday season, uh, probably what on number seventy five <laughs> of your your cheerathon. Of course, I'm talking about Petrified Preston. Uh, closer to number seven, but you know we'll we'll get there in due timing, fellas. Uh, for the first time ever, yesterday I just did exterior lights uh at my oh, home a little bit and of a little bit of griswold action i'll be honest looking looking pretty good i'm pretty proud of it i'll be honest so uh that's been a fun addition like you guys i am also really looking forward to checking out thanksgiving actually dan i'm jealous you got the preview screening mm-hmm. you have to let us know what you think oh you know it'll be up on letterboxd and you can follow me out on letterboxd at daniel p sims preston are you on letterboxd i might be at preston 967 hunter are you on letterboxd you know what fuck y'all on your early plug i'm gonna do this when it should be done you can follow me at discount vincent price on letterboxd (laughs) (laughs) but yes um 
Good, good, good calls there. We'll, we'll plug it again at the end. I am looking forward to Thanksgiving. Of course, it is uh, Adam's family values season as well. You know, that oh, one always call. comes up. Uh, it's also fantastic Mr. Fox season oh. for me. So, yeah, that's one I always fit in there. But yeah, not not really too many. Like, what do you watch for Thanksgiving? Um, scent of a woman, obviously. You know, <laughs> like it's it's a tough one trying to find my spooky Thanksgiving. But we do have a plethora of options with with Christmas and the other holidays. Well, we've established what the the main Thanksgiving yeah. is, right? Surprised you left that out. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, my absolute. uh, Look, I don't hold many traditions. That is one that I made for myself several years ago. And God, I love that movie. That is is a perfect movie to me. Happy planes, trains, and happy John Candy season. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got a little bit of candy here for you because we're talking about uh, two, two, well, was two hot ones, but we've got a hot one and a cold one. I've got to kick it over to Preston as we check into the House of Horrors. Let's flip open the pages, fellas. Tales from the Crypt, number 22. Going way back for this one, February of 1951. And let me tell you guys, what an awesome cover to this comic we're going over this week. I mean, this is one of my favorites that we've covered thus far, just from the cover art perspective. This this is great. The Thing from the Grave is the opening story in this issue. And man, does this thing have... Uh, Pretty stellar artwork featured really throughout it. Uh, we're welcomed by the Crypt Keeper. Love to see that guy right on the pages. And uh, we get right into it, much like the episode itself does. Uh, this, honestly, I mean, might be one of the most different comic adaptation when it comes to like specific plot points to the show yet. I mean, it's the same essential story, right? But the details are super different throughout. Um, it features a gnarly zombie that we'll get to later, right? We'll see if the episode's version can live up to this one. Now, here's where I kind of get a little negative. The story overall on the pages is frankly nothing too special. I mean, the story certainly needed to be piped up and and fleshed out to equate to a 20-plus minute episode. Um, I say... Ultimately, check it out for some of the really cool panels and the cover, as I mentioned, but do not expect a groundbreaking story necessarily with this one. You you undersold how different this is from from the episode, because, man, I, yeah. <laughs> I had to go back. I spent last Friday... Uh, going through and comparing and, and researching. I'm like, is this the right fucking issue? Is this the right issue? Everyone's saying it's this issue. And I read, oh, it's the thing from the sea instead of the thing from the grave. All right. It's gotta be that. Right. Okay. And I read it. And I'm like, this is not the same story whatsoever. I mean, yeah. But what you saw on the page is very bland and banal. It's very mm-hmm. much like, Oh, something weird's going on in this stateroom, and we discover what that is at the end. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, extraneous stuff in the uh, the middle there that doesn't really move the plot forward, other than guy went to the cabin, guy left the cabin, guy went back to the <laughs> cabin, got scared. That's that's pretty much true. <laughs> that's pretty I, much I spot think, on. 
I, I don't know, Preston, I don't know where you are on this one, but I actually, I enjoyed this as a read just because it was so different. Normally with some of these, we talk about, oh, you know, it's basically the same story yeah. but underneath the, the 1950s lens. I just appreciated that this was something different. And while there's a little bit of that disconnect there, like you said, Dan, I, you know, this isn't a story where I'm going to be like, hey, you should definitely rush out and read this. This is mm-hmm. great. This is a totally uh, different interpretation. And it's awesome. I still it gets a little bit of points. Uh, I guess the adaptation side of things and the comic itself gets a couple of extra points for doing something different with the source material here. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah, it's weird too because you'd expect at least the twist to be the same, and it like the twist isn't even close. It's you know the the captain killed the guy, and versus you know this guy. Well, we'll get to the episode. You'll you'll see what happens in the episode. Overall, Preston, are you giving this your read it, skip it, or trash it rank? I say ultimately read it. Um, like I said, I was a big fan of the artwork in this one. Not not that every single panel is brilliant, but there was a few that really stood out. And, uh, you know, hell, I say just for the simple fact of those differences, it might be worth just seeing to, to see how, you know, it kind of equated on screen all these years later. I mean, again, we're going back to 1951 on this one, um, where a lot of these took place in in the mid 50s. So this was a this was an early adaptation that uh, that we're reading here with number 22. So I say check it out. All right, I'll take it. Not a not a shining endorsement, but sure, like a, sure. a used 1991 Toyota Corolla. It's like <laughs> it'll work. <laughs> hey, it'll get you where you need to go. All right. Yeah, exactly. It's 300,000 miles and still running strong. <laughs> Dan, of course, we got to check in with you because we got to talk about this episode's top billing. Oh, yeah. Some uh, familiar names here right up top the writer and director this time, Fred Decker. Uh, while he was previously a writer on And All Through the House and Only Sin Deep, it's his first time directing a Tales from the Crypt episode. So you can go back to either one of those episodes and hear us talk about him, how he directed Monster Squad, Night of the Creeps, etc. As far as stars go, I'm going to put the lady up front this time because she's probably the biggest name that we have this week. Terry Hatcher. She's a well-known 90s lust object. She's known for playing Susan Meyer in 180 episodes of Desperate Housewives, Lois Lane in 87 episodes of Lois and Clark. Uh, she was Jerry, one of Jerry's uh, girlfriends, Syndra and Seinfeld, whose breasts are real and spectacular. And from what I can tell in this episode, <laughs> that might be true. Yeah. Uh, also, Paris Carver in Spy Kids, and she voiced the other mother in Coraline, which is a fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. I just have to say, as I was watching this episode, I just thought, man, this is my favorite episode of Lois and Clark ever. <laughs> well, that's not a high bar to reach, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's got its fans. Look, if you're if you enjoy the series, don't let me tear it down for you. But uh, yeah, we're we're gonna be talking uh, about uh, the, this lovely individual in a couple minutes. We'll we'll wait until we get into the episode to hit my notes here, though. All right. Uh, bringing up our first scumbag this week, Miguel Ferrer. is uh, played Eduardo Ruiz in Traffic, uh, Bob Morton in RoboCop, Dr. Garrett Macy in 117 episodes of Crossing Jordan. I've never seen it. I think it's some sort of show about angels or some shit. I'm not sure. 
Uh, he's also a well-established voice actor. He was Sean Yu in Mulan, a bunch of DC characters, including Deathstroke, Martian Manhunter, Sinestro, Aquaman, and a couple others, uh, and Del Gato in the Beverly Hills Chihuahua movies. But most importantly, he's the acerbic special agent Albert Rosenfeld in Twin Peaks. And if you haven't seen Twin Peaks, this guy uh, steals the scenes he's in. The only thing that could upstage Beverly Hills Chihuahua for Dan was Twin Peaks. <laughs> Two of my best, favorites. Yeah, you best bet that if Twin Peaks has some sort of connection here, Dan is going to find it. Oh, and uh, we're going to see some more coming up. Uh, might be this this season's drinking game is whenever Dan mentions Twin Peaks, start drinking. Oh, yeah. there we go. You know, Dan, I have to mention just while we're talking about this guy, and and obviously we'll talk about his character in the in the show coming up very soon. But he he was such a dick in this episode. I'm like, this dude has to be an awful human being in real life. Like he played that role so well. So obviously we'll get there, but. I just had to make quick note of that. And if you want to see him play like the same sort of Dick, but much more lovable, uh, <laughs> again, Twin Peaks, he, he is, like I said, acerbic as hell. He is just no nonsense, um, but he's a hero version of that. That's funny. Yeah. He's really good at playing this role, though. Mm-hmm. He's, yeah. a oh, very, yeah. he's got a very punchable voice the way he <laughs> Very punchable voice. I meant to say face, but yes, he's got a punchable voice as well. I just want to knock out them vocal cords, but generally just a very scumbaggy guy. Speaking of scumbags, uh, third on the list, we got Kyle Secor. He was rich scumbag Jake Kane in the Veronica Mars series, uh, one of the new founding fathers in the Purge election year, and Dr. Tim Bayless in 122 episodes of Homicide, Life on the Street. That's quite a good tenure. He's doing well for himself. He is doing well. Not a ton, but man, 122 episodes. That's pretty good. I, yeah. I mean, I want to know what his syndication checks look like. Right. I want to know what he gets. Between that and Veronica Mars, too, because he wasn't in a ton of episodes, but probably enough that he gets a decent payday. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the fandom has moved on from those. But there's some nerds out there that are hitting those episodes heavy. So I, I like to think he's still getting his pay cut. I mean, we own them on DVD, so he got some cash from us. Well, if they're on DVD, how <laughs> he got some, some money 15 years ago from you, Dan? Oh, I think we got him from like the, the FYE dump bin, too, that they were like, <laughs> buy, buy two, get one free or something. I was going to say the Circuit City closing sale. It was like, oh, I guess we could take these home now. Yeah. We've got to talk about the Crypt Keeper segment. And here he's just... He's being a little minx. He's digging into those nudie magazines. Um, I've affectionately written, uh, written. I've affectionately written nudie magazine crypty here. And uh, do do we think he's just reading it for the articles, or is he, <laughs> is he enjoying some of those spreads? I mean, they're pretty good spreads. I, I I think I need a ruling here from you, gents. Do we count the corpse tits on the cover? Because if this oh. were a a, a living actress, I probably would have counted at least, you know, bottom boob for our, our, our records. Listen, I, we stand for inclusivity here. Okay. We do, but I'm not counting anything. That's not a, a breathing bouncing pair. Dan. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in counting. I'm not counting uh drawn versions, illustrated versions. Uh, it's, it's gotta be attached to a person. Now, I mean, if it was, it was a person with her titties out, I could forgive the breathing as long as they were bouncing. 
And we have to we have to give props, by the way. Play dead. I mean, come on. That that's yeah. great. I love it. I mean, it's better than play ghoul, right? I, I just kind of <laughs> wish that the ending segment of this, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but you know, they kind of recycled this bit for the ending. Um, I just kind of wish we would have amped it up. I wish he was just I don't know, sucking on some corpse titties or something at the end oh, of the boy. <laughs> Or you see him walking out of the bathroom with a with a box of tissues, like, oh, you interrupted me. <laughs> and then he zips up his robe. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, but yes, it's it's a funny little bit. It's still it's a very weird one because like, yes, there's little puns and there's jokes here, but I don't think it's as funny from the ridden side as it possibly could be it's more of just like oh we have really departed from where the crypt keeper was in the first season he's sitting here reading playboy at this <laughs> point and it's it's good i do it's like cute. it yeah yeah television terror the episode itself Devlin Cates. He's a big old nerdy boy. He's doing his best Jeff Gordon impression as he races up a dirt path for unknown reasons. Stopping outside of a lavish cabin, which is sadly not the one from the great outdoors. Please take a drink, frequent listeners of ours from Volt. <laughs> Mitch Bruckner is outside and apparently they have hella beef. Mitch shoots Devlin in the shoulder, wondering if Devlin can still taste the sweet salt of his fiance's tears on it, recalling a particularly tender moment featuring Eric Cartman and Scott Tinnerman. The tears of unfathomable sadness. Devlin ends up in a fresh grave that Mitch has dug up and reminds that skinny, tall twerp that she's mine. He shoots him dead and buries his corpse. I put a stop here. Go, go on ahead, Dan. Yeah. Go, go on ahead. Well, I, well, I actually had a... A quick note. Yeah, I had a, a super quick note. And my question is, what the hell kind of gun was this dude using? Like a pellet gun? I mean, when he's shooting this guy, I'm like, th these bullets are not making a damn difference um, until eventually they do. Yes. And he falls into the grave, as you noted. I just had to point that out. I, I, I was like, th that thing is lighter than a 22. I don't know. I believe he's using the Ness Zapper, um, which was the <laughs> shooting accessory for the Nintendo Entertainment System. If it was a couple years later, I, I would have enjoyed watching him pull out the Super Nintendo Super Scope yeah. and popping him in the shoulder. But yes, I'm going with the Ness Zapper. <laughs> was it the orange one that came out uh, after the initial one because they thought the other one looked too much like a gun? Oh, God. Yeah, but, you know, it amazes me because... This sort of thing wouldn't... It took them five years or four years to redesign the Zapper. At that point, whoever wanted to play Duck Hunt already had him. Come on, um, yeah. Yeah, so it was a different time, <laughs> but it didn't stop It didn't stop Mitch, Mitch Bruckner from putting a couple into that sweet shoulder. That's right. I did enjoy that this is like a weird... It starts like mid-story almost. It's not quite the end, and then they do a flashback, and it's yeah. definitely not the beginning. It was a strange uh, way to open. Well, I wanted to pause here for that exact reason, Dan. Um, I feel bad bringing it up so early, but this introduction is the best part of the episode. 
<laughs> I genuinely think that this stuff is so interesting and it grabs you right off the hook. And this episode as presented does nothing to match the energy and momentum that happens in the opening two minutes. It mm. never gets back up to speed. And even the stuff that should be more entertaining, namely the zombie at the end yeah. is less interesting than their initial confrontation. I disagree. I think whenever Miguel Ferreira, M- M- Miguel Ferreira is very much the poochie of this episode. Uh, whenever he's not on screen, I'm asking why isn't Miguel Ferreira on screen? Cause I, I want to <laughs> see more of him. Cause we'll get more to it when he starts, you know, dropping some, uh, some good lines, but he was eating his part for sure. He's, he's taking oh, that's, some, some, yeah. some bad schlocky dialogue and just making the most of it. And Hunter, we're about to get to this, so I won't overstep you here, but I feel like, <laughs> I feel like where he, uh, tells our photographer to put his camera, I feel like that was straight up like him making that up off the cuff. That was, uh, <laughs> may as well get to now. Cause that's my, my quote of the week. Get yeah. some shot of the inside of your asshole. Hot yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Nice long lens of yours covered in Vaseline and shove it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a good moment. Listener, you might be saying, hold up. How did we get here? You're talking about Jeff Gordon, Eric Cotman, Cotman, uh, Scott Tinnerman. What, what's going on? So let's back up. This is usually the end of the Tales from the Crypt episode, not the beginning. And I say, hold on. The story is about to kick it in rewind. I'm going to keep that in. <laughs> clean your heads there a few days beforehand Devlin is worried do you think Crypt Keeper would clean my heads do you think Maybe. he'd do that oh a little toofy um, <laughs> a few days beforehand Devlin is working in a photo shoot and is smitten with the absolutely gorgeous centerfold Stacy their productive day is being interrupted by Stacy's fiance who we know is Mitch Bruckner and you know what He's also her manager. He's like, Stacy, shift to the side. Show him a little bit of that ass. And when Devlin <laughs> is like, hey, man, go get some coffee. Get out of here. We're on a, a limited time. She wants to make you proud. He is not all about it. And that's where we get that great line of nice long lens of yours covered in Vaseline. <laughs> Shove it up your ass. <laughs> I love the male model who just wants to party down. I think he is the hero of this episode. <laughs> that is an extra. That is a temporary role where the guy was like, I have two lines of dialogue. I'm going to make it happen for me. And I, you know, we watch these episodes on average. I'd say we all watch these about three times in preparation for recording the podcast. He was my favorite every single time. Because of, <laughs> I know you love Miguel thing. here, but he's so yeah. good. <laughs> He has the good suggestion of, what if I hold this in the other hand, huh? Yeah. Huh? And Dan, what else does he say? And he's like, man, that guy's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> that guy's a real just, bummer, wasn't he? He's got a little bit of that Bill and Ted Keanu energy, which I think is what I like about him. <laughs> uh, he's like, the babes are over here. What if I put the can in this hand? <laughs> but he's respectful about it. He's like, hey, boss, what do you think about this? He's he's open. He's constructive. He's contributing. Like That is the type of man that I want on my team, and I hope he's doing well. Yeah, he is a team player. <laughs> yeah. Devlin and Sp- uh, Spacey. Devlin and Stacy. Later on, they're bonding. It's this weird, dreamy, uh, the the chimey music that's happening in here. 
she apologizes for her fiance's behavior, but Devlin is like, Hey, that guy is not good. What are you doing here? I don't understand the relationship. You don't have to tell me right now, but here's a spare key. I've got an apartment. I've got a color TV. I've got a full bathroom. He gives the full rundown. He sells her on this house. His full Come rundown. Hold on, hold on. His full Go rundown ahead. is a bed, a TV, and a fridge. With <laughs> when we see his apartment, he has a bed, a TV, and a fridge, but also a chair and a TV table, and that's about it. <laughs> it's enough. It's all she I, needs. I guess. I mean, it doesn't have that sick neon self-portrait that's hanging oh, that's in true. her home. Yeah. We can make it happen. I will also note um, the exchange of the necklace. We, we got to talk about this for a second because this was... Yep, yep. Wait, 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 one second. We're not quite oh, there yet. my yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah. Hold on, because I brought up the dream sequence. It's coming up. I, I mixed my, my moments up there. I was my too bad. busy thinking about the male model who wants to party down. <laughs> oh, you go ahead then. Yeah, yeah. So Stacy, she takes him up on his offer and it's this really weird romance scene, which isn't as bad as some of the other stuff we've seen in Tales from the Crypt, namely Leah Thompson's only skin deep. <laughs> but these show up. This is where that weird, dreamy, like romance cover aesthetic kicks in with the, the crazy, chimey music. And they're like, oh, well, if we're being forward... And they just they go at it. They start sharing this this great kiss. And Preston, this is where he gives her that necklace, which apparently he got from an old blind lady who worshipped the Mayan god of truth. By the way, none, none of that is in the comic. None, yes, this is all original. Correct. You think? Yeah, yeah. This was absolutely not in the comic. And I'm so sorry, by the way. I thought that he had given that necklace to her. You're exactly right. He does not give it to her until they privately meet. Um, but what the hell? Like, this was like the most undercooked, random ass thing I have ever heard just kind of thrown in. And it's and it's kind of like an afterthought to the episode. Like, it's one of the yeah. it's a it's a very yeah, yeah. it's a very Tales from the Crypt like thing. But typically there is some substance to it. And this was just like, oh, yeah, here's this thing. If you make a promise you know, it stays true kind of thing. And, um, yeah. and by the way, I do want to note when he gives it to her, we're already like halfway through the episode. And this is a yeah. thing that we'll kind of get to as we continue. But this, I was convinced I had missed some of the episode when this thing ended. Like this thing is one of the most undercooked episodes. I feel like we have watched to this point. Absolutely. You know, we talked about cutting cards being very short um, but the short length of cutting cards works in that episode. Like I'm left wanting more here. It feels like I accidentally sat on the fast forward button on my yes! remote and I'm missing key parts of this. Like I want to see the deleted scene of him being an extra on Mel Gibson's apocalypto. And he gets this mind. <laughs> God, truth net. Were those the Aztecs? I've mixed up my movies. Um, but the point being is, I would love to see a little bit more setup where he gets this necklace and they kind of set it up as this ominous thing. There's so many different paths they could have gone with this episode to make it more engaging and interesting. And I don't know what your final reviews are going to be. We'll get there at the end. But overall, I think this episode is just incredibly choppy. And it doesn't entirely come together. And something that had the potential to be a decent scorned lovers episode is ultimately, I would describe this episode as disappointing. 
one last thing with the necklace. See, I took it as he's a scumbag photographer and this is kind of his move. Like he's got a bunch of those necklaces just hanging around <laughs> and there's this cooked up story about getting it from an old Mayan woman. And then, Oh, uh, I'm making a promise to protect you. But then it actually kind of does work at the end, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I like that idea that just yeah. in his closet, he's got like 15 of these that he got from some drop shipper. He got it from the trading company, you know, catalog. <laughs> You're that, uh, from, from Wish, and it's like, oh, yeah, Mayan protection necklace. That's you're, you're, you're sounding yeah. very Mitch Bruckner there, Dan, I, I have to say. A little this Mitch Bruckner. He's got yeah. a bunch of them. <laughs> so, necklace, old blind lady, Mayan god of truth. He claims that it's going to hold a promise for anyone who holds on to this necklace. And Stacy, she admits she's absolutely horrified to be leaving Mitch because, look, this is a crazy sicko. We don't know what extent he'll go to. And obviously, he's popping people in the shoulders with nest zappers, as we'll find out soon enough. But Devlin, he promises. He, he holds that necklace, and he's like, I'm going to protect you. And they immediately go to Pound Town. They're making that sweet, sweet love, and Buckner is watching them from across the street. He's a, he's a crazy guy. He's not a stupid guy, though. He knows what's going on behind the scenes. A couple days later, Devlin gets that call from Mitch, who tells him that Stacy is in trouble, and she ran off to the cabin. He claims that she only wants to talk to Devlin, and Bruckner lures him back out uh, to that cabin that we saw a little bit earlier. Stacy, her new boyfriend, her new hot piece of ass, the Peter Parker-looking <laughs> guy, um, she doesn't know where he's gone. He's completely gone missing. So she spends the next week looking for him before Mitch finally explodes and confronts her about the affair. Instead of, you know, the, the long drawn out fight and everything like that, he says, Devlin's just moved on and you need to come back with me. We got to give each other another shot. Stacy reluctantly kind of does she she resigns herself to that fate but she goes back to the apartment of devlin and you know what she finds a voicemail from mitch who uh you know it's the same voicemail that we saw earlier in the episode or heard earlier in the episode where he got lured out and promptly murdered instead of doing the right thing uh mitch being the sadistic bastard that he is he ties her up and takes her back to the cabin and for some reason he completely changes her into a full fancy piece of lingerie um, i mean you know the reason i mean i know the re i don't want to think about the reason but he's like okay costume change let's go which i think this is another big fault of the episode I think Terry has given absolutely nothing to do. No, <laughs> so, no. So, like, you know, I don't know what her reputation was as an actor at this point. Um, bit parts, maybe a couple of other things and everything yeah. like that. But I can tell you, she deserved a little bit more to do than she's given in this episode. She's mm -hmm. literally just eye candy. And yes. I think that's another big, you know, it's, it's great. I'm glad the blue works for her, but she needs a little bit more. It becomes a very dudes episode. And I think that they could have done a lot more for her character. Yeah. I feel that she literally got cast just to be that, that piece of ass. Cause yes. I don't think she was Terry Hatcher at that point. Um, she was doing mostly bit parts and smaller TV stuff, but yeah, uh, it's unfortunate that, the arguably the biggest name that ended up being from this episode got almost zero to do other than be eye candy. 
No, yeah, she is she is there to be pretty. And yeah, it is unfortunate. I mean, this thing has a runtime with the intro and outro of just over 21 minutes. Like I yeah, I'll talk more about that when we kind of do the recap, but this there was just not enough there. Yeah, yeah. And even this, which should be like a very tense scene, it just immediately jumps right into the next thing, which is Devlin's resurrection. You know, Mitch is on top of her. Obviously, like Dan said, we, we know why she's in the lingerie here. As they're preparing to do do the deed, Stacy, she calls for help. And you know who's out there? The reanimated Devlin, who looks like complete ass for having only been dead for a couple of days. <laughs> like he's he's looking incredibly rough. Um, I think this is an interpretation of like Fulci's zombie. Do you guys see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it looks like the, the, the zombie from the cover. Yeah, yeah, literally. Like yeah. that's one hundred percent who I see here. But. He wouldn't have decomposed that fast, right? They just needed a fun little showpiece. Yeah. That's that's part of the problem of the episode is it's so clipped that you can't tell how much time has. Like, if you told me everything happened in two days, I'd be like, okay, that's weird that some of these people made that decisions, but I don't see any proof that it wasn't two days. If you told me it took four months, then that might also be a possibility. It's yeah, it's a mess. Second well, yeah. or, or, or quick note, quick note real quick. I, and I have to ask you guys opinion because does it make sense? No, but I did think the zombie did look good. I don't yeah, know. It looks great. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I was curious what you guys thought of it because I, I did. I thought it looked really cool in the comics. I thought it looked really good in the show, but again, it doesn't really make sense. It was a good interpretation of the comic zombie, which is the best part. Yeah, like it 100% looks great. It's a great looking zombie. And especially for the week previous, uh, well, two weeks previous, we had another (laughs) zombie lover episode. Like, I think we've gotten two very distinct and fun looking zombies here, but they they really don't do much with him. Uh, Like there's. There's the great close-up shot, which, Dan, I'm glad you understand what I'm going for when I say he looks like that zombie from Zombie. zombie <laughs> you know, yeah. like, it, it looks it looks great, and I love the, the ripped, like, side cheek yeah. and, like, the blue lighting and everything on him, but it's all done so fast. And there's not even really, I guess it's a fun-ish conclusion that they end up with, with the zombie chopping off his fingers and making him right with the bloody stumps she's mine on that rock however it's it's still you want a lot more of that chase you want more of the zombie interaction because what do we get here we get the reveal we get a couple of bullets and then we get ultimately shovel hands chopping and then that's kind of it and then the episode's Mm -hmm. over yep it is weird that uh, you brought up chopping off of fingers, a love triangle, and loved ones coming back from the grave. Elements from the last three episodes of <laughs> Tales from the Crypt. When we were hanging recently during the Halloween season, mm-hmm. you said, man, we got a lot of episodes about gold diggers and mm-hmm. scorned lovers. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you might be realizing that 80 out of the 97 episodes <laughs> of Tales from the Crypt are about scorned lovers and gold diggers in various ways. At least this one didn't have a gold digger, because when when I mentioned that, it was very much like we were in the dearth of every episode is about men and women being gold diggers. 
Yeah. Well, Mitch, he's obviously in it for the money, but he's also like a hot piece of ass. So like there's a little bit more motive there. Um, I will also add, and I'm curious to what you guys think. I think the ending to the comic was a lot cooler and it could have looked really cool on screen. I get it. Budget purposes, things of that nature. But in the comic, um, our villain actually sets the cabin on fire and her scream, not the stupid necklace thing that was made up, uh, her scream awakens our zombie and our zombie you know, walks in the burning cabin, walks out with her. It's a really cool shot of them coming out and stuff. And uh, then essentially the same thing happens with, with you know, the villain and the grave and all that. But I, I did think that that was unfortunate. We couldn't, we couldn't get that. I do think, I do love that Fred Decker was like, zombies? That's so unbelievable. We need an old blind woman to give this man a Mayan necklace that will bring him back <laughs> from the grave. Um, yeah, it's silly because I completely agree with you. I think that it would have added a little bit more oomph. I can't promise that yeah. it would have changed ultimately how I felt about the episode. Sure. But it would have made it more of a spectacle instead of a like, oh, that's it? They already blew their flame zombie budget two weeks ago. They only had enough <laughs> yeah. for one of them. That's a good point. Like, you can't do just zombie flames. We already did that. We've already signed off on the other guy. I will say, I do appreciate Devlin's handwriting with the mutilated bloody hand. It's very legible. It's, <laughs> it's metal as fuck. Um, just really just impeccable uh, penmanship from this zombie. Well, talking about the zombie sequence, we pretty much recapped everything that happens here. So, <laughs> Stacy, she ultimately gets rescued by this zombie. Mitch is buried alive with his little stump and finger situation. And uh, that's the end. It literally just wraps up. <laughs> no big conclusion. Usually Tales from the Crypt, at least in, you know, from the episodes that I remember, there's that nice little finale scene that you get where it's kind of the closer for one of our main characters. But I'm convinced that Fred Decker did not like Terry <laughs> because he gives her nothing to do um, <laughs> and gives her no closure whatsoever. She just kind of walks away like, well, that's done. Well, I'm glad to be done with that. <laughs> We check back in with our closing Crypt Keeper moment, and uh, here I wrote, still beginning it. He's still just enjoying the magazine. <laughs> and I do appreciate that we get what I've referred to here as a stand-up comedy Crypt Keeper, where it's just nonstop joke and pun one after the other, and they're all terrible. Like, not in the <laughs> traditional, like, fun, hee-hee, ha-ha, these are terrible puns in the, you know, the EC comic way. No, this is just bad material. <laughs> They're like, shit, we need we need a closing Crypt Keeper moment. Give him the magazine again, and here's what we wrote down on a napkin from the intern. <laughs> yeah, in let's the get the hell out of here. Yeah, let's get, nobody's gonna like this episode anyways. Um, so that brings us to the end of Thing from the Grave. Guys, let's go ahead and pay our last respects and give our uh, th a severed thumb ranking. Uh, Devilish Dan, why don't you go ahead and kick us off here? It do be an episode of Tales from the Crypt that we watched three times each. So nine times between the three of us, we probably watched this. That's great. Um, it's probably the most anyone's ever watched it because, like I said, it's pretty terrible. Uh, the timeline's a mess. The dialogue is boring. 
the only one really given a great performance and no, no shade to Terry Hatcher at all. Cause she wasn't given much to do um, is Miguel. He, he was fantastic and he's the only saving grace of this episode. Uh, some of those dialogue deliveries are just chef's kiss delicious. Um, but yeah, unfortunately I think I'm going to have to go with like, I'm going between one and a half and two. I might have to go one and a half. Oof, that's that's pretty low, all things considered, that we've talked about so far. I thought I was being harsh on this one, but you're actually lower than me. Preston, why don't you go ahead and go? Man, I feel like I need to like copy and paste everything Dan said. Like positives first, obviously Miguel Ferrer, like I thought he was a lot of fun. I hated his character, which is the purpose of his character. Um you know, again, I feel I just kind of feel for Terry Hatcher a little bit because as we discussed, I mean, she was given nothing to do here and she was lovely. I'll give her that. So she was certainly successful in that aspect. Guys, we, we briefly mentioned this earlier in the episode when this thing ended. I swear to you, and I am not even kidding, I'm, I was like, okay, either I was not paying enough attention. You know, I watch a lot of these on YouTube and I thought, was there something wrong in the uploading process? Did I miss like a scene or two? And that's like, I think one of the worst things you can say when you just feel like there's chunks missing of the story. Um, completely undercooked. I mean, there was not enough here. And I think I am going to end up going a two severed thumbs out of five on this one. I, I feel, I feel pretty confident. I, you know, I don't know. It certainly wasn't the worst, but it was, it was not good. So, yeah. Yeah. This one, this one frustrates me a little bit because, um, as we talked about at the time, this was Fred Decker, right? I want to make sure I got my episodes correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 Fred Decker, he's done some stuff that I genuinely really like, um, whether that was Monster Squad or Night of the Creeps, especially mm-hmm. even even, you know, Robocop three. I don't love, but, you know, there's some fun oh, stuff in hell there. Yeah, um, this one's just. I don't even know, like, I don't know what wh- I can tell you what my problems are here. I just don't know if this was an assignment he was given and he wasn't really into it. He didn't really like the source material or it was just one of those things where we approached it with good intentions and it didn't work out. Um, but regardless, this isn't a very good episode. And I would definitely say it's one of the weaker episodes that we've seen so far. I'm going to join you, Preston, at a 2.0. So two severed thumbs here, which according to Eper and Roper would probably be good but according yeah, to us that's fair. that's a pretty ass episode you know and not to give everybody an out here but like maybe maybe fred decker didn't have a lot to work with like maybe maybe the like th- do we know if he wrote it like i you know maybe maybe the script yeah, i think was in just... the credits it's directed and written by oh it, so. shit okay all right well yeah there goes that theory <laughs> i do feel like this might have been one of those where it's like all right we got one more episode that we need to you know fill in the season with because hbo ordered a certain number of episodes yeah fred you you wrote a couple decent ones here let's see what you can do with this mm-hmm. direct it to you while you're at it and then they stuck but it you in know the what the season to forget about despite all this like if i was making a tales from the crypt like compilation the zombie chase would show up in here because it's oh, yeah. a cool looking zombie yeah. right like yeah. you would totally insert him in here underneath 
I don't know, some some drum and bass music or whatever. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, just not a very good episode and kind of a disappointment, especially for an episode uh, titled The Thing from the Grave. You just <laughs> that's got a that's got a certain ring to it where you expect a lot more than what we've gotten uh, on film here. But all right, that brings us to the end of another episode of Horrors from the Vault. We want to thank you for joining us yet again. We hope you've been enjoying Horrors from the Vault in general so far. And if you haven't uh, been enjoying us, fuck off. We don't need you. Just go, I don't know, go go shoot yourself in the shoulder with a nest zapper and then reconsider. (laughs) And then once you're done doing that, use your deflated, ugly, deformed shoulder hand and write us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. It's the best way to help us out. We're up to 13 reviews, which is a great number. But remember, once we hit 50, Gary and I, Gary, the writer of our theme music, we're going to be working on a new metal jam version of the Crypt Jam. And I know you guys want to hear that. So oh. 50 reviews, we're going to make it happen. All right. Well, once here we- I come to make fake accounts in that oh. case. <laughs> once we hit 500 reviews, I'm going to cosplay as the woman from Only Sin Deep. <laughs> That's beautiful, Dan. I like it. <laughs> By the time we get that many reviews, you might actually be that old. Who knows? <laughs> um, Dan, devilish Dan, thanks for being here tonight, my friend. You plugged your letterbox at the top, but feel free to do it again and also let people know where they can keep up with all things horrors from the vault. Yeah, like I'm good and enter- entertaining and everything online. Uh, it's a good follow. Uh, you can follow me at Red Right Dan at all the socials, not Facebook, but all the other ones. But if you really want to follow some good shit, you got to follow Horror Vault Pod. Uh, again, that's at all socials Horror Vault Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Threads, Blue Sky. Uh, that's about it for now until a new one pops up once Twitter dies. Or if you want to talk to us directly and write a long form email, horrorvaultpod at gmail.com. Twitter's death is incoming. It won't be long. <laughs> it's, it's been dying for like a year and a half, maybe two Oh, years. it's a zombie app. No doubt yeah, about it. Every time everyone's like, oh, I'm leaving this joint, uh, no one leaves. And then like I go on Blue Sky and there's like, you know, the same four users that I've been following actually posting things. (laughs) Petrified Preston, thanks for being here tonight, man. Let people know where they can keep up with you. Oh, dude. Well, before that, I just have to say, like, it's so good to know that even on, like, a mediocre to bad episode of Tales from the Crypt, we can still, you know, get together and have a great time as far as I'm concerned. So I hope the listeners are enjoying it just as much as we are. Of course, you can uh, keep up with me Kind of all over the place. Uh, yeah, Twitter is breathing for now. At Preston967, letterboxed. We were a big whore and mentioned that earlier. At Preston967, once again, as Hunter mentioned, yes, I am big time into my cheerathon. So you can see what's going on over there. Um, you know, unless you hate me for it, which I understand. Uh, Facebook under Preston Green. I think that about does it, guys. Preston, do you do any Christmas horror movies or just straight up Christmas movies? Oh, yeah. Movies? Oh, hell yeah, I do Christmas horror movies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And honestly, like, if there are some that you think that I may not be aware of, like, by all means. Um, last year, I picked up that uh, kind of three-pack of Silent Night, Deadly Night. I think it was like three, four, and five, if I'm not mistaken. You, you got that from uh, Vestron, I think, put that out. 
um, you know, obviously the Black Christmases of the world, the Krampuses. So, yeah, I'm, I am all here for it. Have you checked out Christmas Evil? Oh, hell yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I need to. It's been getting I, some some praise the last few years, and yeah, that yes. one's great. I need to uh, to purchase that. Oh my god! Um, what is the one? I'm going so blank. This is oh, it's a it's a foreign release. It might be German, and it's basically a Home Alone. Yeah, um, uh, it's a Code Pair Noel. Yes, yes. I've I've got the Vinegar Syndrome 4K of that. It's badass. Yes. I did not want to pay the fifty dollars for that because I don't like it that much. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's also known as Deadly Games. That's it. So yeah, That's it. Yes. Or Code Pair Noel. It's I believe it's on Shutter. If people are looking, to yeah. See it. I don't fuck with Christmas horror. And Christmas horror is usually <laughs> kind of overrated, and none of the movies are as good as people tell you they are. <laughs> <laughs> I Anna, genuinely. Anna the I do, do you like that's Anna most. The that's mostly a joke, but I kind of do feel that way about Aww. most Christmas horror Aww. movies. I think most of them are not very good. Um, or they're fine. Like, for instance, I watch Krampus every single year, usually after Black Friday. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, the first 45 minutes, this is a really good movie. This is better than I thought it would be. And then I get to like the last, you know, 45. And I'm like, this is kind of a slog. I don't know. What's the fuck's going on here? <laughs> um, the, the last 45 minutes, you get all the great creature effects. Come on. But come there's on. not enough. It's too choppy. It's too cutty. Yeah. I did like uh, Better Watch Out. It's been a yeah. couple of years since I've watched Oh, yeah, really dude. That is a good one. If you want to keep up with me, the best place to do so is on Letterboxd. You can find me at Discount Vincent Price. You can also find me on Instagram at that. But more importantly, follow Horrors from the Vault on the social media channels provided by Dan earlier. And also stay tuned right here to Horrors from the Vault for all of your Tales from the Crypt content. Dan and Preston will be joining me over on my home show, Grim Grinning Hosts, very soon, so keep an eye out for that. We'll have more news about that in the coming weeks, closer to the holiday season. But for now, for Devilish Dan, Petrified Preston, uh, Beadnet Crypt Keeper, this has been Horrors from the Vault, signing off, Crypt Keeper, slap at the face.